This podcast is brought to you from Fairy Tales Dog Rescue in San Francisco with Tiffany and Louise. Follow us down the rescue road. F A I R Y T A I L S. Hi everybody, this is Louise. Tiffany is not here today, but I have a special guest surprise for you. We have no other than Stephanie Cruz here. Hi Stephanie. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm doing fantastic. How are you? I'm good, thank you for having me today. We are so excited to have you and I want to tell our listeners who you are. Uh, you adopted one of our dogs, Honey, and she was actually known as Kaisa before you adopted her. Yes, I think I got her in May 2021, so it's been over a year now. And Honey was not just any dog, uh, which is why I wanted you to, uh, to have you here on the show, because I know, uh, I think there's a lot of people who can relate to your story and want to hear what you guys have been through and learn from it. And all the dog lovers, we'd love to hear a good dog story, a good fairy tale, happy ending story. So in, in short, I was fostering Honey before you adopted her, and uh, it became clear very fast that she was really scared to go outside. And um, you knew this when you took her on. Yeah, I remember her description describing her as really sweet and a cuddle bug and, you know, very calm demeanor. But then you warned me that, hey, you know, she doesn't like going outside. She goes on pee pads. Um, and I was like, okay. Like, it didn't even phase me, to be honest. She was just so sweet sounding. So I went into the meeting, you know, knowing she probably would be terrified. And she wanted nothing to do with me on that first day. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. this was during the pandemic, too, so we didn't have adoption meetings inside. <laughs> yeah, it was outside, which was terrible for her. <laughs> it was terrible for her. We were just, like, sitting outside the building, and, and you showed up, and we had our masks on, and uh, but, but it went well. It did. I was ready for a challenge, and I had fallen in love with her before I even met her. So I knew going into the meeting that I was going to want to take her. How so. had you fallen in love with her before even meeting her? Her photo was just her sweet face and her description just sold me. So I just, I didn't care that she had these anxiety problems. I was like, okay, I'll deal with it. I'll figure it out. And that's why you are amazing. And that's why you're here today. Uh, let's start out by telling our listeners a little bit about you, Stephanie. Yeah, so I have lived in California for a good decade. I never had a dog before, but I was kind of just ready. Um, I'm in my mid-30s and finally felt like, okay, I can support another animal and creature in my life. And I lived alone, so I was just ready to have a little companion. Um, I was in a relationship at the time, but I just was like, you know what? I want a dog. I don't have kids yet. And uh, it was just the timing was right. So, and I stay home all day long, and that's kind of the dog that Honey was, and so I wanted, you know, a little dog that would keep me company and, you know, be an introvert along with me and stay home while I do things, you know, and just hang out. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, you guys definitely seem to be the perfect match for each other. <laughs> yes, we are. And who is Honey? Let's uh, tell people a little bit about Honey Bunny. Yeah, so when I adopted her, she was a little bit um, younger than a year. And so now she's about two. Um, and she's, I guess, about 45 pounds and mixed breed, no idea what she is. Um, but she's very shy and timid and has been working through a lot of her anxieties with me the past year, um, ended up being put on Reconcile to help with that. Um, and she's come a long, long way since that first day. And for people who don't know what Reconcile is, it's a medication. Yes, it's kind of the doggy version of Prozac. Um, and so once she went on that, within a month, she went potty outside for the first time. And that was, I think, four months into the adoption. And then it was another four to five months before she even went outside for walks. So it took a good nine to ten months before I could even get her going outside at all. Yeah, that was a big struggle. I remember me and Journey would come and meet you. We uh, would rent the Sniff Spot. Mm. It's a really cool company that uh, lets people rent out their fenced-in backyards uh, so that dogs who are reactive or scared of do other dogs or people or whatever issues they might, they might have, uh, you can go and be outside and just have some outside room for yourself. Uh, I mean, if you live in the city, chances are that you don't have your own backyard. And that was the situation. So, yeah, we would come and meet you guys in the backyard that we were renting in Oakland and we would hang out. And that's where Honey had her very first pee-pee. Yes. And I wasn't there. I was on vacation, I think. And you were watching her. But I was there for her first poop, which was maybe a month later. So it was just very exciting. I think we took a photo <laughs> of me holding the bag. Oh, we did. <laughs> yeah. Very cringy, but, you know, excessive dog mom behavior. Um Yeah, and then I think I didn't really force her to do anything, to be honest. I think Sniff Spot really helped her having a secure backyard because she also just had a lot of leash fear. Like being on leash in particular was terrifying. And so that took a while for her to get over. I think that's really interesting what you say about being scared of the leash because we come across dogs uh, every now and then in the rescue business who are, so to speak, afraid of going outside. But sometimes the situation is really not that they're scared of being outside. It's the, that they're scared of being on the leash. And it's easy to understand if you figure out that the dog might have been kept on a leash, like tethered nonstop, like always just lived like that until they were rescued or got loose and then brought to the shelter and rescued. Uh, so their association with the leash is really just like, Now I'm stuck here and you're going to leave me and I'm going to be alone and I can't get anywhere and I can't even protect myself from something coming because I'm stuck here on this leash and you're, you're just in a really vulnerable position. The leash doesn't associate at all to going on a walk, to anything positive. And of course, we don't know Honey's history, but she definitely was scared of the leash. Yeah, and I remember I tried all sorts of things. And when I the first few days I had her at home, I did take her outside And she would go out, but after doing that for a few minutes, a couple days, she refused to even go out the door and would just sit and just pull against the leash. And so I just stopped entirely. And then I did try working with a trainer virtually. And I did that for a couple months, but I felt there was a huge disconnect between the trainer and Honey. And she wasn't there, but she would suggest things that just I knew wouldn't work. So I stopped that relationship and then just sort of started experimenting again myself. And I remember it was Christmas time last year, 
And I was like, you know what? We're not going into this new year doing this anymore. So honey, like new year, new you. So it was actually January 1st. I was like, okay, we're going outside. And I took her and she was terrified, but I just coaxed her and made it short. And I kind of defined a very specific route in my apartment complex. So we literally would do circles around the building And I think within a few days, she went potty in this like dog relief area that we have. And I just was so shocked holding my breath. And there was something about just finally making her go out at that point. It worked, you know, forcing her eventually. Um, But I was so afraid to for a long time. But I was like, no, we can't do this anymore. I can't do the pee pad thing anymore. You know, you need to get out. And then after that, she was potty trained like immediately. It was pretty crazy. Yeah, that's what you tried doing in the beginning too, that you would just like, let's just force this routine. It's never going to get better unless we go out there. But like you said, she she just got really scared and it just like escalated her fear. And then you stopped and then you tried again a while later. So I think that's a really important lesson to learn that while it is good to, of course, push the consistency and the routine, there's a time and a place for that. And it could be really good to wait and build a relationship with the dog before you start pushing that or what do you think I do think so and I I always went for the positive reinforcement training but a lot of that means not forcing them to do things they don't want to do and she would usually be over threshold as they say where she's so overstimulated and terrified that she won't even take a treat and so she'd be outside refusing treats but I'd still make her do it at that point And, you know, it it meant kind of slowly increasing the time outside and also being consistent with the route. I literally would go in the same circle, same path every single time I took her out. And when I would try to experiment, like taking her one block further, she didn't like that. Um, She was still very afraid of cars, still is to today, today. She's still very afraid of cars, um, doesn't like when they, you know, go by afraid of other dogs, um, even afraid of squirrels when we're out for walks. How does she show that she's afraid? She'll stop. Um, tail will talk a lot. Usually her tail will talk when a car goes by. She refuses to keep walking. So instead of you know forcing her to keep walking, I kind of just let her stop. Um, she watches the car go by. And sometimes I do try to give her a treat whenever that happens. And then I just you know make her keep going. But just kind of giving her time to process, I think, can be important because I'm still forcing her to go on the walk, but I'm not, you know, forcing her, you know, if she's really scared, I let her stop and take a moment. Mm, So you still feel her in and yeah, Mm. so you're being reasonable with it. Yeah. And even, you know, I actually ended up moving kind of for her, which is a little crazy, but you know, I didn't really have a life anymore. I couldn't go on walks with her. She's still terrified of car rides. And so I really wanted her to have a backyard because she loved the sniff spot so much. And for a lot of other reasons, you know, we ended up moving to a smaller town. I have a house with a yard now and she's blossomed even more. She's way happier. I see her tail wag way more than I ever did. And we still go on walks, and she's still terrified on walks, but she has her own backyard now, which is really nice. Yeah, but but she's going on walks regularly now. She is, and I, I do the same thing. I have a loop, you know, in the neighborhood that I do. I sometimes try to experiment or do the loop backwards, but even doing it backwards is terrifying. You know, it takes twice as long to get her to go around. 
but keeping her in the same routine when I do that, I think has helped. And she's, you know, become a little bit more confident even with those walks. So you come a long way from not going outside at all. And she was only using the pee pads and then she tried going outside more and it just escalated and she went hardcore back to the (laughs) pee pads. And now she goes out and pees in the backyard, but like just fine every day. And she goes on walks. Yeah. And honestly, she loves going outside. I've never had trouble getting her to go out there. Even if it's 11 o'clock at night and she needs her last pee break, she gets up out of bed and is happy to go out. It's very strange. Um, I never would have thought that would be possible, but she really does love being out in the backyard now. Yeah, and uh, like you said, it's been a a year and a couple of months of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I don't know, you know, if she's she's probably never going to get over some of her fears. Like the car, I think, will always be terrifying. And I think walks will always be a little bit uncertain for her. But that's just... I have to deal with that at this point. And I don't I don't force her to do those things too long. I don't make her go on 45-minute walks in the neighborhood knowing she's not going to enjoy it. I have experimented taking her on more quiet hikes. There's one hike in particular that I've taken her on, and she does do well. Um, she'll even go potty on the trail, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, that means she's relaxed. Yeah, and she's not crazy about meeting dogs and people on the trail, but she'll actually go on the walk with me. So I kind of keep that consistent too. It's the same hike, same trail every time we go. Yeah, I know. I've seen that picture uh, that you have uh, saved on the background on your phone. Mm. It's honey on a trail by a suspension bridge. It's like a famous trail up here in Nevada City where you live. Yeah, and I I took her across the bridge and I couldn't watch her because she was behind me. I was more afraid and it shakes a little bit. But I had my dad who was visiting take a video and she's just going along, tail up, not afraid at all. So it's like a completely different dog from, you know, when I adopted her. That is amazing. Uh, so when when you started out on this journey with Honey, what was your thoughts about the ability to train and rehabilitate her? Yeah, I... Well, before I got her, I was um, researching just dog training really heavily. I was on, you know, this path to find a dog, and I was also fostering. I fostered, like, a puppy at one point. So I was very heavy into the dog training, you know, world. So I went into it with a lot of knowledge, but I did make a lot of mistakes in the beginning. I remember feeling, like, a lot of guilt. You know, I was stuck at home. She also had separation anxiety. So she didn't want to leave, and I couldn't leave. So I'd maybe go downstairs to do laundry, but that was the most I could even do and leave her alone. So I was kind of a prisoner in my own home for a while. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah, trying to get to know her and, you know, help her through this and, you know, making mistakes and figuring out as I went. But I never regretted, like, adopting her. I never, you know, wished I had chosen a different dog. It was just like, I love her and this is, you know, what I chose and... I was willing to like take the time and be patient with her, even if it was really hard to not be able to go anywhere for at least a few months. Um, that took a while. But you were always convinced that you were going to get this over that hump? Or did you have your doubts where you're like, okay, we might just <laughs> die in here now? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember trying to train her. You know, they'd call it desensitizing them to you leaving And you leave for one minute, three minutes, five minutes. And I was, you know, up to 10 minutes at one point. And that felt amazing. 
Um, Wow. (laughs) Yeah, it's so sad. I could go get the mail and that was about it. But I think I just, I, I, I assumed there would be a light at the end of the tunnel. And I, you know, I knew going into it too that it could take years for her to even be okay being outside. And it took like nine months, so it was a long time. But I think I did eventually decide I have to focus on one thing. And for my own sanity, that was separation anxiety. Because I knew she wasn't going to go outside, but I needed to be able to leave, to go to work, to go to the store. Um, So I was doing too much at once at one point, and it was extremely stressful. So I think sometimes you you can't fix everything, and you have to do what's best for them and yourself. So I had guilt about that at first, but eventually I was like, no, like... She needs to, you know, get used to me being gone so I can go to the grocery store or see a friend. Um, so I did focus on that, I think, for a while before worrying about the walk thing. That's a really good advice. If your dog has several problems and issues, the advice is to focus on one thing at a time instead of trying to tackle all of them at the same time. Yes, and not to rush it. Um, I learned the hard way, you know, the first week I had her, I was training her to sit and just basic commands And I thought it could be a good way to bond. But I think it backfired because pretty quickly, you know, she associated sitting with a leash going on or that we're going somewhere. And now even if I ask her to sit inside, she runs. So I was like, well, I kind of messed that up. And I just basically stopped even training her for basic commands. And she's luckily a very, very well-behaved dog. So I'm not really too worried about it, but I did have to focus on one because it's just too much for even the dog. They get stressed out. And, you know, if she's over threshold because I make her go outside and then leave her alone, that's too much. Um, And I could tell it really affected her at the end of the day if there was too much going on for her during the day. Some people who listen to this might think, hey, that girl is crazy. (laughs) Why does she want to adopt this difficult dog that is limiting her life and making things so stressful and hard? And why not just go get a puppy and, you know, start from the beginning? And, you know, as people tend to believe that if you get a puppy, you can shape that dog. Uh, Of course, that's not true because dogs are as unique as humans and you can't shape a human. But but you get the idea. Like, why didn't you go get, like, a perfectly behaved Labrador retriever? <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know exactly. I think I just always had a soft spot for rescues. And I was never going to go and buy a $1,000 designer dog or something like that. I was always going to get a rescue. And I knew that that was no guarantee of getting the perfect dog. They're all going to have problems. You don't know their past. And I just had sympathy. Um... And I think, you know, I was a little bit obsessed with dog training and researching that to the point where I was like, maybe I should become a dog trainer. And I just, I wanted to, I guess, rehabilitate a dog. And yeah, I don't know. I just sort of felt like something I needed to do. I never really questioned, you know, adopting a difficult dog. Yeah, that's the thing about dog training. It's a lot of fun because if you stick to it and, you know, you you find your way to work it, there is a lot of wins, both for you the, to feel like you achieve something, you do something for somebody else. I mean, what's a better feeling than that, right? To be able to rescue someone, to do things for somebody. I mean, the gift of giving. And this is the season of that. So, <laughs> I mean, we can definitely relate to that. And... Um, 
just of course the love that you get for uh, your dog that you get to see them blossom and grow yeah I remember celebrating every little small win you know the first big tail wag the first time she you know begged for pets or the first time she got in bed with me and even now I feel like I celebrate little wins you know uh, her being more excited to go on a walk or you know any little thing I think it's important to recognize those tiny, tiny little goals, you know, that they hit. Um, The big ones, you know, going potty outside, that's great. But just celebrating like, oh, she wagged her tail today and yesterday she didn't do that, you know. Those are the things that really like brought me joy. And I, I could see her progress just focusing on the little things. There are a lot of wins, but what would you say were like the big failures or no wins that you learned along the way? Mm. There's things that are a little bit, I'd say, traumatizing for her, like basic grooming. Baths are still very traumatizing. Nail trims are awful. It's like her world is ending. You know, anything like that, I I don't think she'll ever get over it. And I know a lot of people will say, you know, you can desensitize them to those things slowly over time. But I'm like, at the end of the day, she needs a bath eventually. And she might just always hate it. And I don't know that I can ever train that out of her. I have a groomer come and do her nails because it's she pulls away, runs from me. So I just don't know if those are things she'll ever get over. And I don't know if it's worth trying, to be honest. Mm. And I think it's a really good thing to have a professional doing those things if your dog is really scared so that you don't damage the relationship that you have with your dog. Because like you said, they do need to get their nails groomed, cut, and they need to get groomed and washed and so on. I mean, that's just basic hygiene and caretaking of your dog. You're going to have to do it. Uh, so if your dog is that fearful, it could really help to have somebody else do it other than you. So it could be money well spent. Yeah, and I think I got to the point where I didn't feel the need to fix her anymore. I think a lot of times people get these rescues and they want to fix their dogs and you know make them get over all of their fears. But she's always going to have some anxiety, even with medication and even with time. So I don't need to fix her. Like she's sweet and kind of perfect in the way she is. So yeah, she's always going to have problems, but I can't fix her permanently. So I think also learning how to let go and know when, okay, like I've, I've trained her to the extent that I can. I'm doing what I can for her. I'm never going to be able to fix her. So recognizing, you know, the, the dog that she is um, and being okay with that. I think too many times people want to fix their dogs and spend thousands of dollars on training. And I think sometimes you just have to, you know, say, okay, we've, we've tried and now we're just going to help her, you know, live and be happy as she is. Be the best version that she can be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's, those are very wise words, Stephanie. I think that just warms my heart that you say that. And it makes me feel like we really chose the (laughs) right dog mom for honey Yeah, I think too that people can be too obsessed with having the perfectly behaved dog. And people tend to shame each other too. And, you know, it's just like parents telling each other how to raise their kids. The same thing goes with pet parents. People want to have a certain level of that the dogs should know these basic commands and and so on and so on. And that's just an idea. And it really sounds like something that's coming from the patriarchy to me. Yeah, I hate the rules about dogs should sit when you give them a treat or they should heal. It's like, who said? There's no laws. Honey does not sit. 
for treats. I, she deserves a treat regardless of what she's doing. Yeah, you don't have to earn every treat. No. We sure don't. No, absolutely not. So, you know, sometimes we might do it and make it fun. Or I might give her a puzzle toy to get her treats. But I'm not forcing her to work for her food. Um, there's just no reason to. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we agree on everything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we do. Me and Tiffany always say, welcome to the podcast where we agree on everything. And so, <laughs> Stephanie, thank you for being here and agreeing with us on everything. Yes, of course. Yeah, so you keep um, going back to... Um, uh, you haven't used this word, but from what I understand is that you seem to use your gut instinct, so to speak. Is that a good advice that you would say for dog training? I think so. I think it's about finding a balance. I think having some kind of structure, like if you follow positive reinforcement style training or whatever your preference is, using that to help, you know, guide you. But I had the trainer, you know, that I worked with trying to put the leash on her in the apartment and wanted to see how she would do. And I was like, I know how she'll do. She's going to be terrified. She's like, well, give her some treats and see how she does. I'm like, this is not going to get us anywhere. And it was just complete like disconnect. And so I stopped working with the trainer because I was like, they don't even understand who she fundamentally is. And even that trainer told me, don't force her to go outside. And I followed that for a long time. And had I stuck it out with that trainer, I never would have done what I did in January and said, okay, honey, we're going out, we're doing this. That's just so against what a lot of trainers tell you to do. You know, forcing a dog who's afraid into a situation like that can maybe lead to aggression. You know, like you don't want to force them and push them too hard. But I had to follow my gut at that point because I was like, this isn't really working what we're doing. I've tried desensitizing her, you know, I've taken her out a little bit and it's just it wasn't working. Yeah, I think it's a really good generic advice to not force a dog to do something they don't want to do. Definitely. And yes, that can cause aggression and fear. I mean, we know that all aggression is based on fear. Uh, so, I mean, if you push a dog who is scared, yes, that can, that can turn into aggression. That is a very good generic advice. But every dog is individual and nobody knows your dog as well as you do. No dog trainer knows your dog better than you do. Mother knows best. Always. And one thing I did that really helped in the early months was keeping a diary or journal of her behavior. And even like what she ate that day, you know, did she get a nail trim? Did I leave her alone for 15 minutes? And even the trainer noticed, you know, she's, there's a lot going on in her day. Um, and I didn't realize until I wrote it down And so she might have a stressful day without me meaning to by, you know, they call it stacking, I guess. What is that? Where, you know, maybe in the morning I, I trimmed her nails and then uh, a friend came over, which was stressful. And then maybe I tried to get her to go outside and her threshold, she, it's called stacking, I guess, because you're stacking all these stressful events and it was too much. And I you know, writing it down made me realize like, oh, I'm kind of doing too much in a day. And so I tried limiting that, you know, if she was getting her nails trimmed or going to the vet, nothing else was going to happen that day. No visitors, ideally. I wasn't going to force her to do something she didn't like. Keep it as, you know, low stress as possible, knowing that this one event was going to stress her out for the whole day anyway. Um, so I really recommend keeping a record of how their days go. And I don't do that anymore. 
but it definitely helped me kind of understand her a bit better by seeing what I was doing and how she was reacting. You are so sensitive to Honey's needs and you pay so much attention to every little thing. And that's why I think it, it does feel okay that you made the decision to go against the trainer and, and do push her a little bit because you are so in tune with Honey. You're not just some the opposite of that, <laughs> you know, some, <laughs> some dude who is just going to push the dog to be this idea of dog that he has or she And um, uh, have your friends and family been supportive uh, of this behavior from of yours? Um, yes and no. I think I got some, you know, why in the world would you adopt this dog? Like, you know, you chose a really hard case. Um, but then so many people, even neighbors and strangers on the street, when I tell them a little bit about her, oh my gosh, you're, that's so great of you. Like, thank you for rescuing her. Um, so it was very mixed reaction. And my, my partner at the time, you know, kind of struggled with it the most, but we couldn't go anywhere. You know, we were stuck in my apartment all day long. And so that made it hard. But I just think not everyone has the capacity um, and maybe empathy for an animal like that. Same thing, you know, some people can't imagine adopting an elderly dog. Not everyone can handle that. It's a very big emotional load to adopt a dog like Honey. Um, you're setting yourself up for a long time of, you know, rehabilitation and not even knowing if, you know, things will go well. And I would say everyone has opinions. You know, some people would tell me, oh, you give her too many treats or, you know, oh, it looks like she wants to go outside. And I'm like, I don't know how you know that. Like, that's the opposite, you know, of how she feels. So everyone, you know, would give their two cents and I just usually would ignore it and uh, just go with my gut and go with the research I had done and experimenting, you know, along the way. What would you say to um, uh, someone who's thinking about adopting a dog that has uh, like big things to work on? I would say patience. You really can't rush it. And if you think you're going slow, you should probably go slower. There's no reason to rush any of the training. And I did in the beginning, you know, you're kind of excited and You want to see them, you know, improve really quickly. But in the end, it kind of backfired and I had to completely stop some of the things I was doing, you know, no more going outside at all and that kind of stuff. So I think it's you have to have patience and also be kind to yourself. You know, it's okay to be a little selfish. You know, I had to focus on separation anxiety, like I mentioned, because I was desperate to have a life again. Um, and that's okay to feel that she's safe. She's in a home. She's well taken care of. So I had to let go of some of that dog mom guilt of, okay, now I, I do need to focus on myself as well. But I was raising her alone. You know, I adopted her as like a single mom, basically. So that's a lot to expect. I didn't have anyone to really babysit her necessarily. I had no one really to help as backup. You know, my family isn't nearby. So, you know, I had to deal with it day to day and figure it out. Um, I even started like a single dog mom support group on Facebook because I was trying to find women who had also adopted dogs that were really hard cases and found a massive community of people going through the same thing. So yeah, I guess just overall you have to have patience and be kind to yourself. I think that's great advice. And yeah, it's not for everybody and every dog is not for everyone. That makes sense, right? But the people who are there for these dogs that 
have been so traumatized to the limit where th- their life is so limited and it's hard to imagine that they're ever gonna go on walks or socialize with other dogs or be able to say hi to strange humans or be on a leash or be off leash or you know whatever it is remember that you know training love and time can really take you places that you didn't see coming yeah and I think you have to assume that the dog you're told about when you adopt them is not the dog you might bring home Because I think, you know, certain behaviors don't show up until you bring them home. I remember you telling me, oh, she doesn't have separation anxiety. She's fine. And that was not the case. But that's typical. And I think sometimes people think, oh, like, you know, you told me they won't have this. And there's no guarantee when you bring the dog home how they'll be. So you kind of have to go into it with a a really big open mind as well. Because you don't know what's going to happen once you bring the dog home. That is so true. I mean, we do have that happen every now and then where we foster dogs And then they get adopted and then their new parents come back to us saying like, this dog has separation anxiety and you didn't tell me. And they feel sort of like they've been tricked into this. Like we made a point of not telling them. And I can understand why you might think that, you know, because it will be harder to adopt out a dog with with issues. So maybe there are people who will lie about them just to, you know, get the dog out faster. I totally get that train of thought. Uh, But the fact is that, like you say, the dog doesn't necessarily show all their true colors until they get into a home. And yes, they are already in a home. They're in a foster home, but it's it's not their home. And they know that. They know that they are somebody guest there. Yeah, and I think they say it takes like, what, three months for a dog like that to really feel settled in. And so I, the first three months were probably the hardest. Um, and it wasn't easy after that, but it definitely helped giving her time. Because they're terrified. They don't know what's going on. I mean, I tried crate training and that was a complete failure. Thinking it would help her feel safe and it didn't. It made it worse. Um, So it's just about seeing what helps them, I guess, as well. And knowing, you know, things might not work. And being okay with failing and trying something new. And just letting them settle in. You know, giving them time to cope. You know, they've just been torn away from what they knew at the shelter, what they knew in a foster home for two weeks. You know, it's a huge change for them. And they don't know if they're going to leave your home again. So, yeah, you just have to give them time. Another interesting thing that happened with Honey was that uh, she started shedding hair once she settled into your home. And this is also a thing we've seen with many other rescue dogs, that they tend to shed hair all of a sudden when they go into their new home. It was a lot of hair. I'd pet her and my hand would come away with a handful. And that lasted all summer. Um, And she eventually had these little bald spots on her belly. And I was worried it was, you know, some kind of medical issue. So me being the extra dog mom I was, I took her to the vet. And the vet's like, it could be stress. It could be an allergy You know, I think we gave her an allergy shot, thinking that could help. I tried some kind of allergy diet to see if she's allergic to certain things. Yeah, that is a whole rabbit hole to go down through, trying to take out one meat at a time and figure out what they're allergic to. Yeah, that was, she didn't enjoy that two months that we did that. But once she went on Reconcile, and some of, I think her anxieties, you know, maybe were taken away a little bit and she was more settled in, the shedding did stop. And I do really attribute it to the time that she had, you know, settling into the home 
and then slowly getting over some of those fears and, and having that medication support, I think really did have an effect on her. And now her hair is back and she's got a really hairy belly and I've not seen that be a problem since. I had the same experience with the bear dog that uh, I had. Uh, he was a really fussy guy. He was a part chow chow. And um, so it, it was quite the sight when after I adopted him, when he started losing big tufts of hair, Nio too took him into the vet and I said, he's losing hair. And like, that's the only symptom. And they said, oh, he's getting alopecia which is basically like dogs to go bald. And I was like, wow, I'm going to have a bald chow chow, <laughs> which is fine, of course. I don't care but the way he looks, but it was just like, wow. Um, but then he, he shed almost all fur, and then he grew back a new shiny fur. And I know we talked about this, Stephanie, and I think a lot of people who listen and have rescue dogs who have been through trauma can actually recognize this story. Um, it's not scientifically proven, but like we talked about you and I before, Stephanie, is that uh, hair tends to hold trauma. Mm-hmm. So when they get comfortable in their new home, then they start shedding the trauma, they shed the hair. Yeah, I really, I really feel like there is some truth to that. And, you know, it, it made me feel almost relieved when she stopped shedding because I felt like her stress was gone, like not entirely gone, but I knew she felt more comfortable and was happier. So it was just a relief when she stopped shedding and she was growing her hair back. But it was very hard to see that. I was like, she's going bald. But um, yeah, she went through a lot. So it's not surprising. Yeah. And now she knew she was home. So, you know, she put on her new coat. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for coming here and sharing your story with Honey, former Kaisa. It's so great to hear how our dogs are doing. And we're so happy to have one of our adopting pet parents on the show telling us your story. Because it's quite the story and journey that Honey has been through. And you. Yes, it's quite the honor. Um, And I feel very lucky that I was chosen for Honey as well. Feels like it was meant to be, but I feel lucky too. I was just going to say it was meant to be. It was so meant to be. And people, next week, Tiffany will be back. And um, uh, as the show goes on, we will be having more guests on Fairy Tales Dog Rescue podcast. So stay tuned for that. And Stephanie, you know, we always tend to end our podcast with a dog song. Do you have a favorite dog song? I do not. <laughs> well, then I'm going to pick a really good one for you. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for having me. It's him or me. That's what he said. But I can't choose between a vegan and a pothead. So I chose you. Cause you're sweet And you give me lots of loving And you eat meat And that's how you became My only man of the hour You never lie And you don't cheat And you don't
reach tight to your forefeet Do I deserve to be the one Who will feed you breakfast, lunch and dinner And take you to the park at dawn Will you really be my only man of the hour? I know you'll never bring me flowers Flowers, they will only die Thank you.